0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to season two of the Forever Marriage Podcast, where we're talking about six keys to better sex in marriage. So the first four episodes we've talked about the first key, which is to align your thinking about sex with God's truth. And in this episode, we are gonna kick off key two, which is to deal with sexual sin, past or present. So we're gonna we're gonna dive in here today. Scott and Dawn, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back.
1: It's good to be here, Ian.
0: Yeah, we've you know, we've spent a good bit of time sort of laying the foundation
2: for tougher conversations. And so here we go. Um, if you've not listened to the uh, the first four episodes, we want to encourage you especially to go back and listen to um, how to create a safe relationship, because we we really do want you to be able to have conversations uh, safely with one another. This can be a particularly difficult, um, painful um topic to to deal with and so we just want to encourage you to do that and to um to be a safe mate when you're having these discussions we we laid down just sort of the foundation of the principle of the boundary and we really talked about how the sexual relationship is deeply embedded in the covenant relationship and um but we know the experience that we have had is that uh, the sexual relationship has left the safety of the boundary place. So it, sex is really like fire, a fire in a fireplace and where uh, if it stays inside the fireplace in that boundary space, it's safe, it's warm, it's alluring, it's hot, it's sexy, it's, you know, it's a beautiful experience and that we can enjoy. But when the fire leaves the fireplace, when, when it leaves that boundary space, there's going to be damage done. It just depends on how quickly you get it back into that space. Well, we have, you know, we've talked about this in, in our culture and, and in our own realm. I mean, sex is so far out of the fireplace. It's, you know, we're, we're just accustomed to the raging wildfires, uh, um, around us, but it's so damaging and so destructive. You know, Scott and I have done so many premarital counseling sessions with couples and we've had a handful of couples that have come to us who are virgins they've they are they have not you know engaged sexually before marriage and there's just a noticeable difference in those couples when they come to us they are much more able to resolve conflict their communication skills are better it's because they have had to discipline themselves in, in one way or another. They are like the Kenyans at the beginning of a road race. I mean, you know, that's probably the last time you're going to see them. I mean, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to, they're going to be the ones who finish first while you're still at the halfway point. They're just ready for the marathon that is, um, that is in front of them. And, and couples who come to us who don't have a sexual history, they, are like those people. They're ready for the marathon of marriage. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have adjustments to make, but they're much more ready for that. S- Scott and I showed up at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of our marriage marathon, 300 pounds overweight, barefooted and smoking cigarettes. I mean, we were that. <laughs> that, that oh, <laughs>
1: is, uh, that is not a literal statement. That is a figurative <laughs> statement.
2: Right? It is, but we were, we were undisciplined. Yeah. Um, we were ill equipped and we had very poor relational habits and so we were not ready when we showed up we had a, a lot of baggage and in this realm of sexuality um this is true of us neither one of us were virgins when we got married i had a very sexual a his, past history and you know for for us coming together like that you know we were de- we were destined to struggle in this area Um, we, although, you know, we enjoyed our sex life in the beginning, wasn't very long before it took a nosedive, you know, we began to struggle, um, my ideas about it at that point, because I had functioned in this realm of, you know, sex was a part of my relationships. It was a way of feeling love and power. And, you know, when Scott and I got married, well, there was no, you know, there was, there was no way to manipulate Scott. And there was, you know, and I uh, struggled to feel love from him. And so my ideas of sexuality um, translated or into our sexuality, I tried to build a sex life on what I had already done. And it was broken and shattered as a part of that. So, you know, as we sort of move into this area, this is a very personal road to me because I feel like I came to a point in my marriage, and this was many years into marriage, where I, Scott and I were, had gone through such a difficult time relationally in the first couple of years of our marriage. Over time, God was healing us, but this was one area that we continued to struggle in, even 10 years into our relationship. And I remember, uh, very specifically being with the Lord and going, okay, enough is enough. I know what the Bible says about sex. I know what I would say in Sunday school. I know what I teach in Sunday school but my real life experience is not that. And it was it was grievous and it was painful because I did not know how to close that gap. And so I asked the Lord to help me close that gap, please teach me. I want what you say about it to be my real life experience with Scott because I loved Scott. I wanted it to be for us what God desired for it to be, but I knew it wasn't. And I didn't even know how to get there. And one of the most profound things that we can do is to ask for God's help in our sex life. He cares deeply about that part of our life, just like he cares about every part of our life. He cares about that part for us, too. And because of the damage and the destruction in that realm, particularly, we need him for healing. You know, Marvin Gaye didn't bring about sexual healing. He sang about it, but it was abs- n- it's, his methodology is not God's methodology. And so we have to, it's important. It was important for me to open my, that world up to him and go help me. And so that began a journey for me of really looking at um my sexual past and making some evaluations and determinations about that and, if I can make a recommendation of a book for you, a friend of mine gave me a copy of Sex and the Soul of a Woman by Paula Reinhardt, And it she, for the first time, she's a counselor. And for the first time, she really sort of started talking about what the conversations with women behind closed doors, particularly in this matter that we have so bought into the sexual culture and our desire to be loved and filled have moved us into that. And this, this romantic notion of sexuality in relationships that our soul is shredded. I mean, we just, we, our soul is shredded and it's divvied out to different people. And so, you know, for, um, for, she was really helpful in, in explaining all of that, but also in helping to lead me through a steps to be able to recapture, regain the wholeness that I had divvied out to other people. So I want to encourage anybody, any woman who's out there, you know, you can pick up that book at Amazon. Um, but it was a helpful process to me to be able to walk this out with the Lord. And uh, I began to pray specifically about the relationship that Scott and I had. That I would thrill to his touch, that I would be excited to hear his voice, that I would long to be with him. I mean, I got real specific about things that I can't even say on, on right now, but asking God to help me in these areas. And over time, I mean, it took some time. It's not an overnight fix because when you're, when you're looking back to sort of, um, I don't want to say make peace with your past because the sin in my past, I will never be at peace with. I look at those things, and I regret them i I look back and i and I think if I had that to do over again, I would do that differently because I want I see the damage that it brought into my life. so I would say more put my past in perspective than to make peace with it and um that perspective helps me to be able to have a healthy mindset about my sexuality now because of the unhealth that I practiced for so long. So, you know, looking at um our past is not something that we want to do to dig up um pain or anything like that. Or I know that there are some people who think, well, that's in my past and I don't have to deal with it. Well, I would just have to challenge you on that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're not experiencing some difficulties, but maybe you don't know that that's where it's rooted.
0: Let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. So at this point, had you kind of told Scott where you were in your heart and in your mind? Or was it just between you and the Lord at this point? Mm-hmm. And my second question is, as you're reading this book, Sex and the Soul of a Woman, were you processing that out with anyone else? Or again, was it just you and the Lord? Mm-hmm. And kind of how did that look like?
2: Um, for? Now, Scott was, of course, he knew we had issues, you know, yeah. of course, he knew we had problems. And um, but I would but I would say for this, this was very personal to me. This was me and the Lord. And because this friend who gave me the book, she knew, you know, of my struggles. She knew my history and just a good friend. And I knew that she would be praying for me, but she did not have the same history that I have. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily, I just simply followed the direct, the instructions with Paula in the book for uh, dealing with breaking the bonds of past relationships and prayerfully reestablishing the bonds with my husband who they rightfully belonged. So even though, you know, Scott certainly did know we had issues, he didn't know the full extent of what I was praying for. Um, because I just didn't want him to, um, how do I say this? I, I wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to see how God would move. You know, how would He move? And if Scott knew some of the things I was praying for, would He change His behaviors just to see? You know what I mean? I yeah. wanted to see how God would move. Right. And He did. And then the friend that I had certainly pray was praying for me during this
1: process.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, guys, as you're listening to Dawn and him just want to encourage you I, i'm pretty confident that dawn and i are not the only couple that had a sexual past prior to one another um it it tends to be more the norm than not um, and so a couple of things hon, that you said that i just want to encourage the folks that are listening is this and i don't want you to be discouraged by this reality i want I want what I'm about to say to encourage you and not to discourage you. Don and I have been walking with the Lord now um, over 30 years, probably close to 35 years or more. And this is what we have observed both within the church and within our, within our own experience. Um, we have seen people instantaneously healed from physical issues. I've I've witnessed it with my own eyes to where a person presented this physical ailment they were prayed for and there was instantaneous healing. I've, I've witnessed with my own eyes people who were instantaneously healed of addictive issues, whether it be heroin Uh, addiction or some type of substance addiction to where they they had a this issue god they experienced the power and presence of god and they were forever freed from it but one thing that dawn and i have not experienced in our own lives and we've never seen it elsewhere is where there is instantaneous relational healing What we have found in our experience and what we've witnessed in working with hundreds of other couples is that relational and sexual healing takes time. And it's consistency over time that God tends to work in bringing about relational healing. And so I want you to hang with us in this episode and as we finish out, as we work through key number two, because this has the likelihood to be the most painful for you if you have a sexual past, but if you will hang with us and just listen and prayerfully process what we're saying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? It has the potential to begin the process of healing for you. So let me just pray as we continue on in this process. Father, first of all, I just want to thank you. I thank you for freedom that Dawn and I have experienced by your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And there's nothing special about us that warranted that, Lord. It is just your grace and your mercy upon us. And we pray today, Lord, for our friends who might be listening, who, like Dawn and I, came into marriage and into this present relationship with a lot of sexual baggage. I pray that this episode and those that will follow will bring hope, will bring healing, will be restorative in the name of Jesus. Galatians 5.1 tells us that it is for freedom that we have been set free. Therefore, do not be bound to a yoke of slavery again. And so, Lord, I pray that you will free us all from the yoke and bondage of past sin. Maybe even those who are walking in present sin that we'll be talking about later. Walk with us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Don and I have witnessed in recent years, we've been here, and let me give you a quick background for those who may be new to this. We, we serve on staff uh, in the discipleship ministry at Lakewood Baptist in Gainesville, Georgia. And we've been here now for 22 years. We came here in 2000 and been here 22 years. We typically work with anywhere from 40 to 50 couples a year in either premarital or marital counseling. So on average, generally speaking, on average, Dawn and I will see anywhere from 20 to 25 couples premaritally. And what I mean by that is they're preparing for marriage. And so we're just taking them through a process that we use here called and Rich that is preparing them for marriage. And this is what we've observed. This is anecdotal. This is not scientifically researched. This is more our observations, is that in recent years, our experience in dealing with premarital couples and counseling has revealed that at least three out of five Christian couples are already cohabitating and sexually active prior to marriage, living together and sexually active. Our observation anecdotally is that about three out of five Christian couples. These are not just couples off the street. These are couples within the church that are already living together and or sexually active. Now, when we came here in the early 2000s, if that were true, if we were dealing with a couple that was either living together or was sexually active— um. Generally, one or both of the partners would state something like this, basically to the effect, and I'm I'm quoting here, I know what the Bible says and where the church stands on this issue of premarital sex, and I know what my parents believe, but, quote, unquote, that's typically what we would hear. This was in the early 2000s. Nowadays, however, that's no longer the case. As we've alluded to in previous episodes, when we're discussing sexual activity and cohabitation prior to marriage now, most couples will discuss it in rather matter-of-fact terms. There's no longer this I-know-what-but type statements. Sexual activity prior to marriage is often just an assumed behavior, Emily alluded to this in our culture is that it's assumed that you don't buy a car without test driving. It. And it's the same way in our culture. I deal with, I counsel and mentor men and it's, I it's not lost on me. Just the number of couples that just hook up. They meet each other on a, an app, a, a dating app. They get together, um, and they years ago when i was growing up this was 70s 80s you had first base you had second base you had third base you had home plate and and you know if you know that don't know what i am just google it and you can figure out what the bases stood for but what i now i notice now guys is that people are running the base pass backwards they start out with a a hookup a sexual encounter, basically a one night stand. That's home, that's home plate. Um, then they decide, okay, I've enjoyed that. Let's, let's hook up again and maybe let's, let's maybe do dinner before. That's, that's third base dinner before. Then we'll have a sexual encounter again. But they've enjoyed that to such an extent, they decide, Hey um why don't we just kind of think about seeing each other more regularly that's basically second base and then um from there they they say hey let's not just hook up for sexual encounters go out to dinner And uh, just see each other regularly. Why don't we make this exclusive? They that's first base. Right.
2: Why don't we get to know each other? Why don't we get to know each other? Which what we know (laughs) is that sex, sexual, sex outside of the boundary, sex, sexual immorality, sexual sin, fosters insecurity in women and immaturity in In men. So now they're going to try to build relationship on insecurity and immaturity. Mm This is what the problem is. This is what we see is that they're now coming to us with this foundation built on top of insecurity and immaturity where the, it's backwards. We are to get to know each other first. We are to pursue each other first. We are to get to know each other's hopes and dreams first. What is their character like first? Um, building all of that foundation requires discipline and that's why the ones that show up to us who've not had sexual experience are already disciplined they have had to do some restraining to make room for getting to know that getting to know each other part which strengthens the foundation to build a long-term relationship
1: so whether these couples realize it or not just like dawn and i we did not realize it at the time they are now packing and bringing with them some sexual baggage into marriage. They don't even realize it. Um, but if it's not dealt with, we attempt to deal with it, bring it to their attention. In essence, when we're working with a couple premaritally, they're in a phase of the relationship that we call they're unconsciously incompetent. They don't know what they don't know, and they don't even realize the damage that they've already done. Now, we're saying if you're listening to this and you're, you're, you're far enough in your relationship and what I described as the backwards base path is, is the path that you actually ran. Let me just say to you, all hope's not lost. God is a God of grace and forgiveness. I'm not saying there won't be consequences. Dawn and I had to deal with the consequences in our own life. But there is grace. There is forgiveness when we choose to walk the path as God designed it, and Did-
2: it's not too late to get the fire back in the fireplace. No, that's you know, if away. you're premarital and you know this is going on, we just want to invite you to think about stopping, to put pump the brakes on that, mm-hmm. um, and to give uh, give God a chance to begin to really teach you and heal you before you start to before you start walk into cross the aisle of marriage.
1: Yeah. So that's the introduction into key number two, to deal with sexual sin, both past and present. I want to invite you to come back for our next episode. We're going to begin taking this conversation a bit further. And in our next episode, we're going to take you into three steps to consider when dealing with sexual sin.
0: Awesome. Thank you all so much. And thank you, Dawn for sharing just from your experience. That's not easy to do, to open up about something um, just so personal. But I know that it's helpful. There's power in sharing testimony. So it's helpful to me, and I know it's helpful to our listeners as well. So thank you guys so much. And tune back in for another episode of the podcast.